welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Good morning. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you, Lord, in front of this just amazingly grand text. This text that's a warning, but this text also that has so great a gospel in it for us to see. And we just pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see it. We pray even as we talk about the parable of the sower, that that those different soils, we pray, Lord, that you would give us good soil, that our hearts would be good soil for the gospel, that this morning the gospel would go deeply into our hearts, that your spirit would so water it and cause it to grow, that we would just come alive. Those who are already believers, who have been walking with you for a long time, that they would be revived and renewed and and restored, and we pray for those who are don't know you yet, Lord, we pray that you would cause them to be born again to this living hope. And Lord, as this text says that your spirit bears witness to the gospel through through the gifts we pray lord for our body that that all the gifts that these people have would be activated this morning and that we would so use them that that this place would be so obviously alive with you that you would show yourself to us that we would as hebrews talks about experience the powers of the age to come Lord, this is something only you can do we can't manufacture that in any way and so we just come before you, Lord. We come before you like Elijah put out the wood and then poured water all over it. We have assembled this place and we've poured all of our imperfections and all of our inabilities and all of our half-heartedness on top of it. And now we just ask you to send fire. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would do so much more than we could possibly imagine or think or even ask. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in this passage in Hebrews, and we're reminded again that Hebrews has this special grandeur to it. I don't know if you've noticed, but Hebrews has a special grandeur. The the author of Hebrews, he calls people back to Christ using both wonder and warnings. So he shows us, chapter 1, he shows us the wonder of who Jesus is. He's so amazing. And now there's a warning. There'll be five warnings through here. He shows us both how great Jesus is and how great our danger would be without him. There's five warnings in this letter. This is the first one. It's also the first command, and the command is to pay much closer attention to what we've heard. And in the context, the one we're to listen to is Jesus, right? If you look at verse 1 of chapter 1, God spoke many times in many ways, and these last days has spoken to us in his Son. It's the message of the gospel from the lips of Jesus, and we need to pay much closer attention to it, right? And this command is interesting because, you know, the gospel is one of those things that's so easy to forget, even though it is so simple. It's strange, right? I remember when our kids were small, we were at the dinner table, and, and, you know, we were asking, like, how can you be right with God? And they were like, do good things. And we're like, no. 
uh, that won't work. And here's Jesus, and he's done all the good things. Trust in him. And then a couple minutes later, you know, they're messing around with their food. And I said, how can, you know, people be made right with God? And they said, do good things. And I'm like, no. So here's Jesus. He's done all the good things. Trust in him. And we went over this several times, and I remember turning to Tasha and saying, this is not a cognitive problem, because they could learn this in any other way. This is a spiritual problem, right? It's a spiritual problem. We tend to forget the gospel, and he says, we need to pay much closer attention to what we've heard. And then he gives us three reasons, and I'll give them to you up front. I don't normally do this. I like to surprise you, but there's three of them. There were three reasons we need to pay much closer attention to what we've heard is drifting is easy, the danger is real, and the gospel is great. First, drifting is easy. Look at verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. Guys, drifting is easy, right? It's easy. It's even in the word drifting, okay? Drifting is an easy word. The word in the Greek means drifting, believe it or not. It means just to float along to float along just passively. Um, it was used as a nautical term about a ship that may, lost its moorings and is just drifting out in the current, right? And any of you guys who have been in a little boat on a river or in the ocean or something, you know what it feels like to drift. It feels like nothing, actually, doesn't it? Drifting doesn't feel like anything. It's imperceptible, right? You, you get distracted in the boat, you look down, you close your eyes or whatever, you open your eyes, and you're just surprised by, how did I get here? The drifting is imperceptible. Drifting is easy. It's just getting distracted. It's just letting your attention fail, and suddenly you're in a place you never intended to be, right? You guys been there? You ever been in a place you never intended to be because you drifted? It's easy. It's just losing focus, because there's a strong current, guys, that's always trying to pull us away from Jesus. The Christian life isn't you in a boat in a lake. It's you in a boat in a river, or you in a boat in a jetty near the ocean, right? There's a current pulling you away. And guys, this is such a practical passage, because this is such a common problem. As a pastor over the years, I've seen lots of people follow Jesus for a time, and then just drift away and never return. And I'm sure you guys have seen it too. And it's heartbreaking. You guys have seen it in your own families. You've seen it with friends. You've seen it in your church. Jesus saw it a lot, didn't he? You think about Jesus and the crowds. How often did people come and they're super excited and they wanted to follow him? And then what? He says something. It's difficult, whatever. And they drift away. It was such a common problem that he actually told a parable about it. You guys remember the parable about this? I gave it away in the prayer. What is it? Yeah, it's the parable of the sower, you know? Jesus told this parable about a man who spread seeds, and he's spreading the seeds all over the place. He's not very good at this because he's not being very strategic, but he's throwing it all over the place, right? And some of it lands on the stony path, and some of it lands among thorns, and, and the ones that land on the stony ground, you know, they spring up for a little bit, and then the sun comes and scorches, and they're dead. And the ones that are among the thorns, they grow up for a little while, and then the, the thorns choke them out, right? And there's no grain. And then there's the good soil, right, that grows up and yields grain. And Jesus said that the sower is sowing the gospel, and the different soils are different types of receiving the gospel. And the seeds on the rocky ground, he said, these are the ones that receive the word and immediately receive it with joy, but they don't have any root in them, and so they don't endure. And then when tribulation or persecution comes, they fall away. The seeds among the thorns were the ones that hear the gospel, but it says the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches— and the desire for other things choke it out. They choke it out. So you have some that get scorched out, and you get some that get choked out. 
Jesus here gives us five reasons why we might start to drift. First one's tribulation. The Greek word for tribulation is philipsis. It means to squeeze. You guys felt tribulation? You guys felt squeezed? We have felt squeezed. And, and it can just be that life is just so unbearably hard that you just can't even think about Jesus anymore and you just start to drift away from him, you know, because of the hardship you're dealing with. You're just getting pummeled over and over again. Um, persecution, you know, this applied to the Hebrews because these were people who were Jewish converts to Christianity who were tempted to fall away and persecution can make us fall away. We get so distracted by how others dislike what we believe about the gospel that we drift away. It's really common right now. It's not a hard persecution. No one's going to take your car. No one's going to beat you up or anything like that. But just being in a culture where everybody really, really despises the message you love, it has an effect. It has an effect. It scorches you out, right? Or the deceitfulness of riches. He says it will choke things out. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We get distracted with wanting more and more and more. Desire for other things is real general, right? Things that pull ourselves away. If the text is telling us to pay much closer attention to the gospel and to Christ, we have to admit that we live in a time that it's so hard to pay attention to anything, right? To anything. My daughter would bust me sometimes because, you know, she'd come up and she'd be talking to me, but like, I was like, uh-huh, mm-hmm, uh-huh, mm-hmm, uh-huh. And she'd go back to me, uh-huh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's when I knew she busted me. You know, the worst is when they go, what did I just say? And I was like, something about your day that was important to you, but obviously not important to me, right? It's hard. You guys realize we live in, it's called an attention economy, okay? Your attention is being harvested and sold and bought by people. You've heard this term, attention economy, right? You know, social media and all the advertising, everything online, all this. It's an attention economy. How much can I get your attention? Package it and sell it to advertisers. Okay? So we live in a very difficult time for this kind of thing. Are you prone to drift? Ask yourself that. Are you prone to drift? Are you prone to drift? How many of you guys are prone to drift? You guys prone to drift? Prone to drift? If, if you're like, I don't think I'm prone to drift, I would just say as nicely as I can, I think you're being very dishonest about your own soul. I think you're not really dealing with your heart. Maybe you've not learned to deal with your heart. You're not dealing with your heart, really. Because we are all prone to drift. You know how I know? The author includes himself in this command. Take a look at it. Verse 1. We must pay much closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift away from it. The author of Hebrews, we don't know who he is, he knew what it was to drift. Isn't that comforting? He knew what it was to drift. He's like, dude, I know. We all need to pay much closer attention. You know, I've drifted myself. Uh, We're prone to drift. You know the old song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, take and seal it. Drifting's easy. It's as easy as getting distracted. It's as easy as looking away from Jesus. You end up in some place you never intended to go, and you wonder how you got there. You drifted. We've got to pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it, because drifting is easy. And secondly, the danger is real. The danger is real. You can see that in verse 3. You can see that in the question he asks. He says, how should we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The danger of drifting from Jesus is real. And the danger of drifting from Jesus is real because the law is reliable to judge. And you're like, okay, that was a little too quick. Let me show it to you in verse 2. 
For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? What he's talking about here, this message he's talking about, he's talking about the law. He's talking about the law coming to Moses on Mount Sinai, think Ten Commandments. And he's talking about angels because Moses said, hey, guys, when I was up there, I saw like tens of thousands of angels when this was being delivered. He says that in Deuteronomy. And so this message that was delivered by angels, this law, the Ten Commandments, the, the law that we hear from God, was delivered by angels, and it always proved reliable, it says. Reliable for what? What does the text say? What's the law reliable to do? What? It's always good for judging, okay? It's always good for judging. It always does a great job at judging and punishing sin, of giving just retribution. The message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and you're like, Boy, that's a reliability. I'm not sure I want it. And every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. So the law, guys, it's really important for you guys to realize, maybe some of you are new, and you think, okay, I knew he was going to talk about God's law because that's what church is about. You come here, you try and do God's laws as good as you can. You know, hopefully you do better than most people. He judges on a curve. I get into heaven because there's a lot of scumbags that are worse than me. That's not the way it works, okay, at all, okay? The law was never meant to save. The law was given to show us our need for Christ. That's what the law is for. The law was never meant to save us. We're never meant to go like, okay, I'll do it, and I'll earn my way to heaven. Never meant to do that. The law was given to show us our need for Christ so he can save us. The law is like a mirror. The law is a mirror. You see yourself. You don't like what you see. You see you're dirty. You see you're filthy. You see your sin so that you'll turn to Christ and have it cleansed. That's what the law is for. You don't wash yourself with a mirror right? It'd be weird. You get cuts. It's uncomfortable, right? You don't do that. It was never meant to, to be the way that you'd be made right with God. And the error of other religions is that they try to use the law to get right with God. It will never work. It's not what the law's for. The law is great for what it does, though. And, I, you know, a lot of times law has like kind of a negative connotation. It's given by God. It's a good thing. And it works really great for what it's for. It works really great for what it's for. What it's for is to find sin and judge it. That's what it does. And you think like, man, I just feel like it's always judging me. It is. That's what it's for. It's to judge you. And it's a good thing. Why is it a good thing? Because you, then you know you have sin. Then you know you need to turn to Jesus. The law is not a bad thing. The law is a great thing, right? The law is a great thing like a diagnostic test is a great thing. But it isn't the treatment. Jesus is the treatment. So if you feel like the law is judging you, turn to Jesus. That's what it's supposed to do. Okay. So if you're not a Christian, the law is to show you you need Christ. If, if you are a Christian, the law now shows you what you need to repent of and how you need to return to Jesus. So here's the thing, and here's what I think is going on in this passage. There are only two ways to stand before God. Either you will stand before God on the final day on the basis of the law, you get what you deserve based on the law, or on the basis of the gospel, you get what Christ deserves. Which would you like? This is a pretty simple choice, right? Here, let me give it to you again. You can stand before God on the basis of the law. You get what you deserve for all your sin. Or you can have Christ and you will get all that he deserves because he took all the hell you deserve for your sins on the cross. Which do you want? We're going to go with Jesus. Okay, that's the right answer. That's the right answer and that's so important. And I know it seems so simple, but somehow the devil and our sin and stuff makes it super complicated. And we're like, I don't know if I want him. It's super simple though, right? We want Jesus. And by the way, if you don't have him yet, you can have him. You could ask him right now to do that for you and he'll do that for you. It's that simple. People are often like, oh, I need to go to church and start getting back right with God. 
And I'm like, wait, what, did you, what do you mean by that? What they mean by that, I'm going to start going, get some reps in, kind of feel better about myself. That's not it. That's not it. You come to Jesus, and he instantly gives you his righteousness. It's a beautiful gift. The danger of drifting from Jesus is real, though, because the law is reliable to punish every sin. And if you leave Jesus, if you don't want Jesus, all you have is the other option, the law, to stand before God based on the law. And guys, the law, it says here, has proved reliable. Every transgression and disobedience receives a just retribution. It's a very severe word, right? The answer to the question of how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation is we won't. There is no escape. Jesus is the only escape. Okay? And this warning, guys, just so you know, and as we get into Hebrews, there's more warnings. These warnings, like Gabe so wonderfully did with the Westminster Confession there, 79, I think it was. Catechism. Westminster Catechism, the larger one. Question 79, right? Okay. You guys are like, I don't know. You were here. It was beautiful. Okay. Anyway. I was counting on you, but that's fine. Um, I'll do this by myself. The warnings in Hebrews, I want you to know this, that they do not teach that a truly born-again Christian can ever lose their salvation. They can't. Talk to me later if you want to talk about that. I'm happy to do it. There's lots of texts that would say that if God has caused you to be born again, he is going to keep you believing. He is going to keep you his own firm until the end. But the Bible also teaches that there are professing Christians, people who profess Christ, who later leave Christ permanently, don't come back, and it shows that they were never truly of the faith, okay? That's the warning here. That's the, the permanent kind of drifting from Jesus where you don't return is showing that you never truly knew him, okay? But one thing I want to mention here, and it's not part of this text, is that even a temporary drifting from Jesus is dangerous, guys. I mean, even if you are utterly certain of your salvation, even a temporary drifting from Jesus is dangerous. I mean, true Christians can drift. You guys all know it. You guys all have drifted, right? They can drift for a long time, and they can drift really far, right? You think of King David. Think of his drifting. It was months, maybe nine months. It was a long time. It was a good part of a year that he drifted, King David did. And think of all the wreckage that caused. He returned to the Lord, but just after a whole bunch of harm. And I just want to say to you guys this morning, perhaps you're drifting like King David right now. You're drifting. I would just plead with you, return to the Lord today. Let's not play this out as long as it can possibly go and see how much wreckage we can have. Right? Return to him today. Return to the Lord today. Hebrews 4 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you've been drifting for a long time, you are in a time of need, right? And he is going to be so gracious and so merciful to you if you just return now. Just know that as soon as you turn, it'll be like with the prodigal son, the father runs with joy back to you that second, right? When we, when we turn from our drifting, we don't meet a God that's like this, his arms crossed and like, I've counted how many times you've done this. I don't believe you're serious. You guys feel like God's like that? He's not like that. Read the parable of the prodigal son. He'll come running with joy to have you. And the other thing I want to say, if you've been drifting for a long time and you return, your church will receive you back with grace as well. We will receive you back with grace as well because that's another fear, right? You know, I know God will be gracious, but church folk, who knows, right? We will receive you with grace as well because, guys, we know what it's like to drift. We know drifting's easy, right? 
church, do you guys know drifting is easy? Drifting's easy. You're not going to be like, somebody goes, oh, I've drifted. Let me tell you how. We're not going to be like, how could you possibly do that? What are we going to say? We're going to say like, oh, I see how that happened. And I'm glad that you're back. We want to receive you back with joy. Believe us on that. Like there is no reason for you not today to confess your sin and turn. We will not be shocked. We'll be so thankful that God has brought you back. Right? Remember the prodigal son? Remember, not the older brother, he's the bad one. But remember everybody else, they had a party? That's what we'd do. We'd have a party. We must make much closer attention to the gospel because drifting's easy, danger is real, and lastly, the gospel is great. The gospel is great. Look at verse 3. It says, it's such a great salvation. Gospel's so much greater than the law. He says, the gospel is greater than the law because it had a greater delivery. Look at the verse 3. It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. The law was delivered by angels, he says. The angels were involved in delivering the law. But the gospel is delivered by Jesus himself, with Jesus' own mouth, with his own body, with his own person, right? And don't get me wrong, like, super cool to get messages from angels. Show of hands. No, I'm just kidding. So we'll, we'll all be like, mm, okay, it's good, I think. Uh, anyway, I would like to ask. We'll, we'll check later. <laughs> but it would be great to get messages from angels. I mean, we get packages all the time. You guys do too from Amazon and stuff. And they just unceremoniously throw it wherever. It used to be they'd ring your bell. They'd be like, sign for this. You'd feel like you're an important person or something like that. Now it's just like they'll throw it anywhere, right? You know, we get packages all the time, um, mostly for the cats, which is weird. I'm always like, oh, it's for the cats. <laughs> but imagine you got an angel. He rang your bell and he gave you a message. You're going to listen to that, right? You're going to be like, I wonder what's in here. You're not going to be like, oh, I'll throw it with the bills. You know, you're going to open that. You're going to want to know about that message. What if God himself brought us a message? What if he came down and brought us a message? And he did, guys, in Jesus. God became a man to bring us the most important message, this message of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. He didn't send angels to announce it. He announced it himself. He came in the flesh himself. Look in verse 3. Look at the steps here. They're really cool. It says, it, the gospel, was declared at first by the Lord. Now, usually when the New Testament says the Lord, who's it talking about? Jesus, okay? Just so you know. When you see Lord in the New Testament, almost always it's referring to that person of the Trinity. It's referring to Jesus, not the Father. So that's Jesus. He came, he declared the good news of the gospel, right? And it was attested to us by those who heard. Who's that? Those who heard. The apostles, right? So they were witnesses. They attested to it. They wrote it in this book for us to read. They witnessed what they saw and wrote it down for us, saved it for us. This book's been preserved for us. You guys ever like blown away by that? The gospels, you know, like these almost 2,000-year-old documents handwritten by people who saw or were close to people who saw, and we still have them. Isn't that amazing? This has been preserved. So he handed those down, and then look verse 4. It says, well, God bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles. Okay, when, when the word God is in the New Testament, almost always it's referring to the Father. So you've got God the Son coming, Jesus, right? He, he declares it, and then the Father wants to make sure that everyone knows, hey, this is my Son, you know, and what he's saying is legit, and so he bore witness with signs and wonders and miracles. As the father, he wanted to make sure, especially in the resurrection, he wanted to show us, this is my son, and the resurrection shows very clearly, this is the right person to listen to. And then verse four, 
It says, and by gifts of the Spirit distributed according to his will. This is really cool because that's continuing today, right? God continues by his Spirit to give witness to the gospel through the church by the gifts that you all have. Isn't that cool? So when you guys show up to church, one thing you should be praying as you come is, as you're dealing with all your spiritual warfare, you should pray about that as well. But you should pray that God would use your gifts here, right? You come early, use your gifts. You stay late, use your gifts. We are here to use our gifts because the Spirit wants to make really clear to anyone that comes here that God's among us. And he does that through the gifts of the Spirit. And he's still doing that. So think about it. Think about what God did to get you the gospel. He came himself in Jesus, right? God the Son. God the Father attested with signs and wonders and miracles, right? And the apostles wrote it down and God preserved it so you could have it. And then you weren't just like, you know, kind of toss this on your doorstep like, hey, didn't he ring the bell? There's the gospel. What he did? He did it in the context of a church of actual human beings that care about you, that have the Holy Spirit, that have unique gifts to, like, manifest God's presence. Isn't that amazing? It's, it's amazing. It's, it's as good as if Jesus rang the doorbell and gave you the gospel himself. The gospel came with a greater delivery than the law. Also, the gospel is greater than the law because it provides actual deliverance. Remember we saw in verse 2 what the law does? Doesn't save. It is super reliable for what it does, which is it judges sin right? But the gospel reliably saves sinners. I, I think we need to hear this. I think we need to hear the reliability of the gospel because I think most people, not all of you, but some of you, because you tell me, deal with condemnation. You know, when you sin, you, you have a really hard time believing you're forgiven, even though you turn to the Lord and you confess your sin to the Lord. You don't feel forgiven. You kind of carry that around like Gabe was talking about earlier today. Sometimes people carry things around with them for years, right? Things they've, they've confessed to the Lord before, but they still feel dirty. They still feel shame. They still feel condemnation. And, and how can we know, how can we be certain, guys, that the gospel is enough to forgive us, right? And the way we can be certain, it's actually interesting. The law actually helps us be certain that we're forgiven, because we know, because the law is reliable, that Jesus has taken the law's full sentence of death for you. On the cross, the law was reliable to do what it always does. Jesus took all your sin upon himself voluntarily, it was his choice, took it all upon himself, hung on that cross, and then the law, guys, it, every transgression and disobedience received its just retribution fully. Isn't that amazing? It's so amazing. I mean, we can actually surprisingly trust that the gospel is enough because we know that the law does its full work. And the law did its worst to Jesus. Every single sin paid for. Isn't that good news? Isn't that amazing? We've got to believe that. Guys, there's a lot of people drifting right now from Christ. And one of the common reasons to drift from Christ is we just don't think we need him all that much. And part of that is the kind of quote, gospel we're hearing, right? A lot of people don't think they need him that much. They think of Jesus as, they've been encouraged to think of Jesus as just a good example, you know? And it's like, well, you know, following Jesus is hard, and I could probably find good examples that don't make my life harder, right? Or they think of Jesus as, you know, just a really affirming buddy, right? And it's like, I have other affirming buddies that don't get me all kinds of trouble with the world. You know, just go with the affirming buddies. Or they think of Jesus as kind of like he's a life coach, right? 
You can get life coaches somewhere else, but you don't need Jesus for that. But he's really, guys, a savior, okay? And if the law isn't preached and sin isn't preached, people are going to naturally think that they just don't need Jesus that much after all, right? Because that's the real problem he saves. He's a savior. He's not a life coach, not an affirming buddy, right? He's not just a good example. Guys, it's easy to drift from Jesus if you don't see your need from him. And um, I don't usually mention, like, other churches and the carnage that's happening out there. I'm largely positive about the church. But I did hear a message this week from a prominent church in our valley. The lead pastor literally told his church, this is the lead pastor, this isn't like, you know, he was sick and they got some guy they found, okay? This is the lead pastor, this is what he said. He literally told the church that Jesus didn't die on the cross for the penalty of their sins. Literally. One of the biggest churches in our valley. Said, literally said that Jesus did not die on the cross for the penalty of our sins. That it wasn't about him. And he said it's psychologically harmful to tell children that. This is the question, <laughs> right? There was a little bit about that, but it was unclear, okay? It was unclear. I know you guys are like, I'm, I'm glad at the anger here. <laughs> like, this is like righteous anger. I feel it. I'm feeling it good, you know? Hardly ever get to have righteous anger. Got to be careful because, you know, then it turns into unrighteous anger. <laughs> Always. Don't enjoy it too much. And, and basically the idea was Jesus was just a good example of how we should all sacrifice with our lives to make people happier. That was the message. And guys, and as you brought up, who was it? Why the cross then? That was the perfect question. That makes the cross make no sense. It makes no sense because it makes Jesus less than a savior. There's a really uh, famous illustration of that. Imagine you're out on the pier, maybe the one in Oceanside. You're sitting there, you're fishing or something like that. And some guy runs by you on the pier and he jumps off into the water. He says, I love you. And then he drowns. Okay. You'd be like, okay, um, kind of wish you didn't. Whatever. That was unfortunate. That's what the cross looks like if it isn't a death for the penalty of our sins. It looks like, I don't know what that was, okay? Now imagine you're drowning next to that same pier, and that same man jumps off the pier saying, I love you, rescues you from drowning, but then drowns in the process. That death makes sense, doesn't it? That's the death of a Savior. That's the love of a Savior. Guys, you will not think every day about the random guy that jumped off the pier saying he loved you. You won't think every day about that guy. You'll think about it for a while, and every once in a while, you'll be like, that was a weird day, right? You will think every day about the one who gave his life for you. You'll think every day for him. The only people who permanently drift from Jesus are those who don't see their need for him. They just didn't think they needed him all that much anymore. It's easy to drift from Jesus if we don't see our need, which shows us how we keep from drifting. This is so cool. Uh, how do we keep from drifting? He says, verse 1, pay much closer attention to the gospel you've heard. That's what this whole book of Hebrews is about. It's structured that way, to put before your eyes over and over again how good Jesus is and how much he loves you in the gospel. And this command, this command is not a bummer, okay? This command is not a bummer. Pay much closer attention to the gospel you've heard. This is not a, a command that's hard, guys. It's a command to listen. It's a command to hear, right? It's a command to focus your attention on how good Jesus is and how much he loves you. Guys, this is not a heavy commandment. This commandment is not a burden. It's light. It's easy. It's to hear Jesus, right? It's to hear Jesus and how much he loves you. 
This is a command that we should just enjoy doing. You guys all love listening to great music. It's not a chore. You know, like, oh, i got to listen to my favorite band again. <laughs> guys, Jesus' voice is the most beautiful sound. Amen? This is a command to listen. Have you ever heard anything more satisfying than the gospel? Guys, remember the causes of drifting in the parable of the sower? There was tribulation. When we hear the sound of Jesus, we're made patient in tribulation. There was persecution. When we hear Jesus, we're made steadfast in persecution. There's the cares of the world. You know, when we hear Jesus and the gospel, it gives us courage, right? There's a deceitfulness of riches. When we hear Jesus, the sound of Jesus and the gospel, it makes us content. There was the desire for other things. When we hear Jesus, he makes us so incredibly satisfied that we don't want whatever that other thing is. Could it be that easy? I mean, could it be that simple to be faithful to Jesus? Could it be as light as listening? And it can. This is the first and greatest commandment in Hebrews, is to listen to the gospel. It's to hear it. So how do we deal with drifting? How do we deal with drifting? It turns out you don't deal with drifting by rowing harder. Okay? Like some of you guys have tried that. You just tried rowing harder, right? And you're tired. Anybody rowed harder? Rowing harder and just getting tired? I mean, your arms are amazing from all that rowing. I'm not going to lie. Like, you're, you know, got huge guns. It's amazing. But you're tired and you're not getting anywhere, right? You don't keep from drifting by rowing harder. Guys, there's another nautical term. Nautical meaning ships and sea in Hebrews. Do you guys remember what it is? Where's he? I mentioned somebody else that has to do with boats. Yeah, where's that? Hebrews 6, right? We have an anchor. Hebrews 6 says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Just the picture is, is that Jesus, our anchor, is all the way in heaven, and we're connected to him. He's our anchor, right? You're tied to him. The fact that you're tied to him, he's the reason that you've never really been able to leave all the way. Like, you may have tried to leave him a bunch of times, but, you, you know, you're like, oh, this keeps on, you know? Super difficult. What's going on? You have this anchor, and he's the reason why you have to come back. He's better. He's better than anything you've been tempted to leave him for. You keep from drifting by hearing him in the gospel. And he's speaking, guys. Through the Spirit, he is speaking in his word all the time if we'll listen. You know, your first step back might be to sit down somewhere, pray that God would speak to you, and just read the book of Hebrews. He still speaks. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the beauty of the gospel, and we thank you for the warnings. We thank you for the warnings because we're prone to drift. And we pray, Lord, for all of our hearts, all of us equally prone. We just, we just pray, Lord, that you would continue to draw us closer and closer and closer that our drifting would be less and less, and our returns would be faster and faster. And Lord, we pray that you would just compel us by your lo great love for us, that you love us so much, that you're so willing to, at this moment, welcome us back. Even as we take the Lord's Supper, and it's a time of even examination, we know, Lord, that we could turn right now. And I just pray for any who might be prone to just take it a little bit longer, maybe try to work out some things on their own. I just pray, Lord, no, today, today, to turn from sin, to take the, the bread and the cup, to be strengthened and fed, to have that be their, their welcome home, that even as you 
killed the fattened calf for the prodigal. We're reminded in the bread and the cup that the invitation home is there. And you're ready. You've always been ready. Lord, make us ready to return. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgraceminifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.